Greetings, this is Pastor Stan Harvey of the Pentecostals of Sydney. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. It is our hope that this message, whether it be a Sunday service or a midweek lesson, would be a blessing and a help to you in your spiritual journey. Stay connected with us on our website, posydney.com, or on our numerous social media platforms. Now to the service. chapter 25. I'm going to be reading verse 1 through verse 13. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through verse 13. When you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, then say woe is me. Chapter 25 of the book of Matthew, verse 1 through verse 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us in you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. This morning, I'd like to speak to you under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and with a deep burning in, in my soul. I'd like to speak to you on this subject. You can't borrow my oil. You cannot borrow my oil. Father, we pray that your presence would be in this house, that you would be manifest in our midst. We want to see your face. We want to hear you. We want to hear from you. We want to know, oh God, what thus saith the Lord. Father, let there be an urgency when we hear your word. Let there be some people's hearts that are pricked. Let them, O oh God, bring to remembrance to their ears and to their hearts that your coming, though it has been delayed, your coming is imminent. It will be here. And Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. 
amen and amen. God bless you all. You may be seated all over this building. One of the great doctrines of our Christian faith is that the Lord is coming back for his people. In John chapter 14 and verse 2, Jesus told his disciples, In my Father's house are many mansions. It, if it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. At the ascension of Jesus 40 days after his resurrection, the apostles remained watching him go into heaven, and the angel told the uh, disciples, soon to be apostles, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back for his people. But although we know that Jesus is coming back for us, we do not know when he is coming. This parable that we read today was given by Jesus in a long discourse that started way back in chapter 24 of the book of Matthew, one chapter before the one we read. And what prompted this discourse uh, was a question by the disciples. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3 what prompted the Olivet Discourse, the Olivet Sermon, as it is called, uh, was a question. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these signs be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? His answer came in verse 36. He said, but of that day and of that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But that's not the only place where he says that no one knows the hour. He repeats it over and over again. He repeated it in verse 42. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. And then he repeated it in verse 44. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Then you go down, uh, he repeated it in uh, verse 50, and he says, in an hour that he's not aware of. And now in this parable, this parable that we just read, he concludes the parable by saying, you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. The disciples said, when will this be? And Jesus said, no one knows. It will be sudden. It will be unexpected. When you least expect it, the Lord shall appear. You will know the general time because I'll give you the signs. And he did that in chapter 24. But the exact moment and the exact hour, you will never know. For as the epistles tell us, the Lord will come as a thief in the night. 
unexpectedly and suddenly the Lord will come back for his people now we have this parable the parable is a simple story that is used to illustrate a spiritual lesson this parable of the ten virgins was given to us in order to teach us two specific things and those things are number one no one knows when the Lord is coming nobody knows when the Lord is coming but it's also there to teach us a second lesson and that second lesson is you must be ready when he comes you better be ready when he comes because if you're not ready for the second coming of the Lord you will not depart with him if you're not ready it doesn't matter how many times you cry out Lord Lord it doesn't matter how many times you knock on the door if you're not ready when he comes you will not be with him we must not have the same response that Israel had about our Messiah the first time he came to this earth. The first time Jesus came, the world was not ready for him. And he is hoping that the second time he comes unto them who are hoping and waiting for his glorious appearing. He is hoping that the world this time around will be ready. The first time they were not ready. They should have been ready because the prophets marked out very clearly the signs that they should look for. The prophet said that there would be a forerunner and here comes John the Baptist and he came preaching he was the forerunner and they still weren't ready the prophets had identified him as a voice that would cry out in the wilderness that's in the old testament and yet when john the baptist the voice that cried out in the wilderness preached the gospel to them and preached repentance they were still not ready he came unto his own but his own received him not that's exactly what happened they said the messiah would be born in bethlehem and he was born in bethlehem thank you micah for that prophecy but they still weren't ready they said the prophets prophesied that he would be born of a virgin and yet they still weren't ready he they said he would be of the line of david and of his kingdom there would be no end and yet they still were not ready they said he would come to Galilee he did they said he would have great power and with healing in his wings and he did and they still were not ready they said that the that the anointing of the Holy Ghost would be upon him the Spirit of the Lord is upon me he even said it himself these scriptures they speak of me they speak of me and they still were not ready the world was not prepared and the world was not ready but I pray this morning in Sydney Australia that as I sound the alarm the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back for us I pray in this house that there would be a people that would say I need to be ready I need to get my heart right because Jesus is coming back for his people 
want to give you a little context to uh, this parable so you could understand it better. You see, in uh, uh, first century Israel, a wedding was the greatest event that took place in a village or a town. It was the greatest single social celebration that those people knew anything about. Everybody got involved in a wedding. There were friends and children and family and extended family and friends and foes. There were, uh, everybody got involved. It was a time of happiness. It was a time of great celebration and festivity. It was a time where uh, people came out and supported. And that's the scene that we have here. Every marriage was fulfilled in three stages in first century Israel. The uh, uh, first century Israel. The engagement, there was the engagement, that's the first element. There was the betrothal, and then there was the wedding itself. There was the engagement, the betrothal, and then the wedding itself. First of all, there was an engagement. And what was that? Well, nowadays, an engagement is a, a very romantic type of uh, affair where uh, you want to take somebody to, a, you know, somewhere that is uh, pretty iconic and you want to hire some sort of photographer to go hide in the shadows and lurk until you get the courage, enough courage to go ahead and do what you've got to do. And, uh, you know, they, they usually take a picture of you and the opera house is in the background somewhere and uh, these kind of things go viral. Uh, that's not the type of engagement we're talking about in the first century. Let me explain to you uh, the very romantic scene of these engagements. Uh, the engagements were not done by the parties themselves. It was done by two fathers. Two dudes would come together, and this is the romance that was involved. How many cows do you have? <laughs> Amen. Uh, how many cows do you have? And then they would exchange and they would go on. And uh, they, the two fathers were, they were giving their daughter and their son to each other, as it were. So engagements weren't really made with the couple. They were made with the fathers. Sometimes you didn't even know who you were going to marry. It was the fathers who discussed this and uh, did how many parents in this house wish we could go back to those days amen i've already told my sons amen i am a biblical father amen i'm a biblical father they won't know the day nor the hour when fiona is gonna walk in <laughs> and that's the uh, number one that's a and then you've got uh the second element the second element of the wedding it's called the betrothal or the betrothal period. Now, a little while after the engagement, when the parents, the fathers would get together, they would uh, 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 get together. Now, this is the time when they, they would kind of meet. You know, they would meet. Well, you know, sometimes you knew who it was, but at times when you didn't know who uh, your spouse
spouse was going to be, you would kind of meet there at the betrothal period. And there would be what was called the second phase of the wedding or the marriage. And uh, the betrothal was, was uh, the official ceremony. The couple would come together before friends and family, and they would make vows and covenants and binding promises to each other. And they had an actual marriage ceremony, and they made their commitments there. Now, could you imagine uh, uh, doing your vows to someone you've never seen before in your life, and you're looking over, and, and they, you know, their nose is so big, it looks like a two-car garage just parked in the middle of their face and you're looking over going oh for better or for worse right uh and so but that's that's the way they did it this was uh an official marriage and then they, they were then officially called married but there was no uh honeymoon night after that there was no honeymoon night you did the vows you did all the stuff and you were considered married uh but uh as a matter of fact if you broke the betrothal period it was called a divorce you had to go and get a, a, an official divorce and if uh if it, it, that's how binding it was and and if the husband happened to die before uh the next element uh, then then the wife was called considered a widow she was considered a widow so this was an official wedding an official marriage but you uh you still did not live together uh you still the, the marriage was not consummated physically but legally that was your wife and why is that why why is that? Well, that brings us to the third, the third element. Uh, the young men had up to a year after the, that ceremony when they would exchange vows. And uh, he had a year to get things ready to take the bride to be his own. He had to provide a place for her. Perhaps he would build an addition on the, the, his father's house or a house of his own. Or he would purchase land or he would cultivate land or a field and he would show that he could care for this woman for a whole year he had a whole year to go out and to get ready to bring his bride home and uh, uh, so he had a year to prepare uh, he had a, a year to prepare his life at the end of the time that he needed he would go to take her and she would become his own and live with him this would be after after a year now there was no ceremony to that 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 was just the official wedding it was done in three stages in the second stage that's where you had the actual ceremony in that third stage where the where the uh, groom would come to pick up his bride in that third stage there was no ceremony to that all it was was the groom would come in a day that was unexpected the bride would not know when that groom was coming although she knew a general time she knew it was right around the year so she would have her bridesmaids come and live with her so that they could celebrate with her on the day that she would get picked up so the bridesmaids would come right around that month when it was about time for the groom to come but she did not know the day and she did not know the hour when the groom would 
would come by. Now there was a friend of the groom and the friend of the groom was the one that would announce when the groom was coming. Now you can imagine as that village had shut down for the night, they did not know when the day nor the hour nor the time it was that uh, they were going to celebrate. But you can imagine uh, one of those lonely nights when all of a sudden the friend of the groom would scream out and say the bridegroom is coming the bridegroom is coming the groom is coming he is coming and all of a sudden out of every door would come out every neighbor everybody was in everybody's business amen and everybody would come out those doors just to see the bride coming in a great procession usually he'd have about 10 men with him in his wedding party and they'd all come down and the groom was coming down to pick up his bride and it was just such a joyous moment because the bridesmaids that were there down at the house they'd go crazy oh this is the day this is the day when the bride is to get married we've got to get ready we've got to make sure so they'd go down because in those days these lamps it weren't really lamps there were more like torches the torches nowadays we make great presentations and invitations we give cards to people we want to come and spend our money for our wedding it's my wedding but I've got to pay for your dumb food and so we you know we do that nowadays right now in those days your invitation was actually a torch if you did not have a lighted torch with you you would not be allowed to come into the party which usually took about seven days of rejoicing you remember the weddings at Cana the wedding at Cana it lasted for days and the party went on and on and on this is kind of how it was but if you have not been invited to the wedding you were not allowed to come in the only way that they would know for the bridesmaids if they were part of the wedding party or not is if their torch had light in them if the torch was lit up then they would know yes you are allowed to come into this wedding party and to and to be festive with us for the next seven days and so we ask ourselves this question who are these bridesmaids that were up there and it's very obvious from what our Lord is trying to say in this specific parable these are professed Christians these are professed Christians they are those who claim to belong to Christ they are those who have gathered with the assembly of Christian people to await the coming of the Lord they are those who say they know Christ and they anticipate his coming they say they believe and they know about the wedding and they know the time is near so they gather up and they're ready to be taken by the groom they even say they've made their preparation they have on their wedding garment they have their torch they have everything on the outside that you can think of their presence it symbolizes that they're interested their torch it symbolizes that they have made some sort of profession of faith in Christ they show outward marks of watching for the coming of the bridegroom they show outward marks of readiness everybody knows that these bridesmaids they got to
into the house and they're ready and they've got their garments on they show outward marks of commitment to Jesus Christ they are part of the believing community they have gathered there as bride maids as it were ready to be received into the glorious marriage celebration they profess to love Christ's appearing they profess to hear the gospel and believe it they profess to be disciples that wait for the bridegroom and desire the kingdom of God those are the ones who come to turning point conference those are the ones who sing along with the songs and they dance their dance and they worship their worship and they sing along with the choir those are the ones who come and are eager to hear the word and frankly when you just see the ten of them they're not very easy to distinguish can I tell you there are two crowds in this church right here right now there are two groups in this church and every single church around the world there are two groups and they're not very easily distinguished they all have their wedding garments they've all been chosen to be bridesmaids they all attend to the bride they all have their torches they all are indistinguishable they all have a form of godliness and somehow or another they all dress the same they all look the same they all go to the same small groups they all go to the same Bible study but they are not the same they are not the same they are not the same what distinguishes the two groups some of them have oil and some of them have no oil they may look like them they may wear the same stuff they may go to the same small groups they may come to the same services oh on the outside you say oh yeah that's part of the bridesmaids but be careful be careful brothers and sisters it's not what you've got on the outside that's going to determine whether you're going into the celebration it's not what you sing like that's going to determine whether you're going to the celebration it's not what you play like that's going to determine whether you're going in or not when it's all said and done the bouncer is going to say do you have oil This is a pattern that is seen over and over again in the book of Matthew. Matthew adds a distinctive element not seen in the other gospels. In this age, one cannot discern, according to Matthew, the blessed from the damned, the, 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 the Christian from the heathen. Look at the book of Matthew and you'll see it. You don't see it in every other gospel. But you look at the book of Matthew and you'll see it in the parables that Jesus gave or that Matthew wrote. You, you see it in his writing style. You see it in his vocabulary. Wheat, it grows alongside the tares. Another parable he put forth to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his 
enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? But he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. So let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Oh, that serves as a warning to us. That serves as a warning here today. There are some tares among the wheat. You keep going down and you'll see it's not just that. He also said in Matthew 13, 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. They throw a net out. There's some good fish that come in with the bad fish and they're all living together and they all look good. When you first pull out the net, you say, whoa, man, what a catch. But no, that's not the way it works. They've got to be sifted. They've got to be sifted. They got to go through the groups. There's some good fish to this side. There's some bad fish that go to the next side. Matthew 22, 11 through 14, the sheep are just as surprised by their identity and fate as are the goats. The Bible said, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he will set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on his left that's not gonna happen until the son of men returns from glory right now there are some sheep that are mixed in with the goats some good fish that are mixed in with the bad some tares that are mixed in with the wheat we all look the same we all dress the same we all talk the same we all come to the same stuff oh but friends and family members not all of us have oil not all of us have oil so these are very different they're not outwardly distinguishable but inwardly they're very different there is not a more grand or more beautiful spectacle on earth than a great assemble, assembly reverently worshiping God together. No line is visible to human eye that divides them into two parts. This is a great congregation. Oh my, this conference was so awesome.
the dancing, the preaching, the edification, the teaching, the training that took place. I was looking over this altar and people receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost for the first time. People being baptized for the first time. Yet, the congregation is divided into two parts. You don't see it. There's no line. There's no visible line. You don't see it. But the Lord, he reads the intention of the heart the lord reads our character and he marks our place the lord knows them that are his and them that are not his in every assembly of worshipers that's why two would be in the field one will be taken they're doing the same thing but just one will be taken two will be up in the mountain top somewhere just one will be taken that's the kingdom of god the kingdom of god God is separated between two groups. There is a big dividing line between the two groups. Oh, and he could look down, the Lord can, on this assembled group here this morning. Uh, and all of you saying, we are waiting for his coming. We have our garments on. We have our torches in hand. But God knows whether you are wise or whether you are foolish. Only God knows. We may not know but God knows and the differentiation is preparedness the differentiation between the two groups you know what it is one group is ready the other group is not ready the other group has taken things so nonchalantly the other group just thinks oh he's delayed his coming I've heard about this all of my life it just won't happen let me just go through the motions and you have not assessed whether you're still in the faith or not you have not self-assessed whether the Holy Ghost is still burning hot on fire inside of you or not you have not assessed whether you still trust God trust God for your salvation you have not assessed whether there is still spiritual affection within you uh, where you see the Christianity and the world uh, through the lens of Christ they that were foolish they, they took their torches but they took no oil with them the wise took oil in their vessels uh, those vessels they carried on their person to pour into the torch along with their torches. The wise, they carried the flask with the oil. The fools had no oil at all. They made no proper preparation. It was all on the outside. It was all external. It was for all a form of godliness. But they denied the power thereof. They hadn't cared for the most necessary thing. And that is the oil so they could light that torch. They all made a profession. But only five had the genuine oil of preparedness. What is that oil I ask you again? It is that necessary reality of saving grace that distinguishes people it is in a crowd full of people all that 
outwardly and ostensibly and apparently honor Jesus Christ but there will be different hearts you can't see it with your eyes on the outside it's what's in here the oils in here some are prepared some are unprepared the oil is grace the oil is true salvation the oil is imputed righteousness the oil is genuine holiness only granted by the Holy Spirit and faith in Jesus Christ the oil is the oil is come out from among them and be ye separate saith the Lord the oil is a transformed inward life the oil is your motives the oil is your motivations what is that oil you say do you wake up in the morning and he's the first thing you think in the morning do you go to sleep at night is he the last thing on your mind at night what is that oil you say it is Christian affection it is not the type of person that says what's the least I can do and still be saved oh that kind of person there's no oil in your lamp there's no oil in your flask it is that person that says what more can I do I love my bridegroom I love my bridegroom I can't wait for his coming what else can I do to be prepared oh oh Lord they were committed intellectually they were committed socially they were committed even religiously but they had no oil they had no light they were committed to the fellowship of the saints they were at every picnic at the Pentecostals of Sydney they went to every single social meeting and they participated in small group oh but their hearts were far removed even though they honored him with lips their heart was far removed oh their hearts was far removed and so when the bridegroom came the friend of the bridegroom lifted his voice and said the bridegroom is coming the bridegroom is coming and all the virgins they arose they awoke on that night and you know what the Bible said they all trimmed their wick all ten of them even the foolish ones they trimmed their wick they were ready to put the oil in you know what that tells me the foolish ones they had no idea that there was no oil in their flask they were preparing their lamps as though they were going to pour oil on them they were going through the motions just like Samson had done he thought oh I'm ready let me go through the no Samson no 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 the Holy Spirit has departed they were going through the motion and they didn't realize I've got no more Holy Ghost the Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of me I'm not walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh like I used to there's no more passion there's no more desire I'm not serving the Lord with gladness oh they did not realize there was no oil in their flasks So they called out to the five wise ones and they said, please give us your oil. Give us your oil that we may be allowed to enter into the celebration. And the five wise ones responded back and said, uh-uh, 
you cannot have my oil. Go get your own oil. Go get your own oil. There's a truth to this, Pastor. There's a truth as I bring this to a close. There is a truth to this, and I, I pray in this house that you would get the truth that I'm trying to bring forth to you, and that's this. Oh, young people that is in this place, please hear me. I know Daddy's a prayer warrior. I know Grandma is a great saint. I know your mother has prayed for you. I know she's brought you down. I, I see them. They worship the Lord, and they're consecrated and, and they're living a holy life but on that day on the day of great judgment on the day of great judgment their oil their oil will not be the price that will be paid for the entrance to the great feast day oh no you've got to get your own oil you've got to get your own oil you know why because God does not have grandchildren God only has children God does not have grandchildren he doesn't operate through the oil that is in your grandma and your mother and your father and your auntie it doesn't matter what kind of life they lived on that day your grandma's gonna say you can't borrow my oil you can't piggyback on my prayer life you can't piggyback on my spiritual discipline you can't piggy on that day oh Caleb oh Micah you listen to me wherever you are on that day you can't borrow daddy's oil you can't borrow daddy's oil you better get a hold of the horns of the altar for yourself you better get a hold of this truth for yourself you better buy this truth and sell it not you better be red hot on fire cause on that day you cannot borrow my oil One of the verses that bring horror to my life whenever I read it is Matthew again. Matthew tells you that one that day, many will come and say, Lord, Lord. It's exactly what these foolish virgins did. Once they went, it was too late. They came back to the house and knocked on the door after the doors were closed. The wedding party was in. You know what they said? Lord, Lord. They knew the bridegroom. They knew him. They knew his name. They knew his people. All of them that were in there, those were their people. They knew and they thought they belonged in there. They knew it. But you know what Matthew said about those that will come in his name and say, Lord, Lord. They said, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? You know how powerful that is? These men have the gifts of the spirit. But they had no oil. They could cast out demons, 
with no oil. They could prophesy with no oil. What a horror that is to me. What a horror that is to me. That oil is not the gifts. Oil is the fruit. Oil, it doesn't matter how much talent you have or what you do or, or, or how industrious you are or resourceful you are. It doesn't matter how much you serve. It doesn't matter how talented you are in the kingdom. Someday you'll say, Lord, Lord, I played some of the greatest conferences and I sang at some of the greatest stuff and I did media for you and I did sound and, and I served and I did so much and I cooked, but that is is not the determining factor in whether you're going to come in and you're going to dine with your master. You have to have oil. You have to have oil. You have to have oil. prophet said these people are lying to you he's talking about false prophets he said the false prophets are lying to you and don't buy it one bit because the false prophets are giving you a sense of false security they keep telling you you'll be all right because you're in the midst of the temple you live near the temple so you'll be all right but you know he said, don't buy it for a second. You know what the false prophets were telling them to say? They were telling them to say, the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. And a scream it three times because they lived in the same city as the temple. They said, as long as we've got the structure and as long as we've got the temple and as long as we've got a form of godliness around here, we're going to be all right. I mean, we go to the house of God. We, we're in the near vicinity of it. Everything's going to be all right. And the prophet said, the Lord through the prophet said, those are lying prophets. They are cursed. I'm not looking at no temple of the Lord and the four walls and the structure. What I'm looking for is a heart that is contrite and a heart that has changed and I'm telling you I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there is oil in my lamp there is a desire to see the kingdom of God to be extended I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I'm saved I'll tell you why every morning that I wake up there's a new passion in me I want to read more I want to study more I want to pray more I want to seek his face more you know why because when I think of lost souls tears run down my face they still do you know why because I'm not in this for the money I'm not in this for filthy lucre you know why because I love the Lord with all of my heart with all of my mind with all of my strength somebody said well but if I listen to your preaching I'm gonna be alright it doesn't matter how many YouTube messages you want to watch on that day you can't borrow my oil you can't borrow my oil this is my oil I paid 
paid a price for this oil. Your pastor paid a price for this oil. You can't borrow his oil. You can't borrow anybody's oil. You got to get back. You got to cry out to the Lord. You got to say, I, I don't think I'm ready. My heart's my heart is not bursting. It's not overflowing with preparedness. I've let so many things come in and take first place. You're not number one anymore. Romance is number one. Money is number one. My education, my things. And slowly, slowly, I didn't realize it, but the oil, the oil has dried up. It's no longer there, but I pray to God this morning that something would get a hold of your heart and prick your soul, and it would bring you to this apostolic altar right now. Those of you, I pray in this house. I pray in this house that there would be a broken backslider that would hear the word of the Lord. Your oil is low. Your oil is low. Listen to the friend of the groom. The groom is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. The bridegroom is coming. Where is your oil? The bridegroom is coming. You, 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 you know who I'm talking to. You who persist in your sin. You know who I'm talking to. But the more you do what you like, the less you like what you do. The more you do what you like, the less you like what you do. You know, you know who you are. Where is the oil? Where is that oil of yesteryear? Where are the tears? Where are the tears of affection for Christ? Where are the tears of passion for his cause? Where, where is the oil of dedication? Where is the oil of spiritual disciplines? Where is the oil? Where is the oil of worship? Where is the oil of church attendance? Where is the oil of living a godly life in this wicked world? Where is that oil? bridegroom is coming the bridegroom is coming the bridegroom is coming Draw near 
Chance.